Hello, and welcome back to Poldark Podcast, a podcast about the Poldark Saga, uh, written and created by us. And by us, we mean... Me! My name is Rita. I live in England. I Tumblr at Princess of Poldark and tweet at Rita Bites. And me too. I'm Michelle. I live in the States. I blog at Poldark Muses, and I tweet at Music. And me three, I am Delinda, I live in France, I blog at British Liso, and tweet at Delinda Dia. Season three is currently airing on BBC One at the moment, and each week we are producing a podcast discussing that week's episode. On Sunday, episode four aired, so if you're not caught up yet, then beware, we are about to get very in-depth and spoilery. Now, let's get started with the episode description. The episode started with a walk and talk. Aaron Sorkin, eat your heart out. Everyone brace yourself for some exposition. The grain stores have been empty for months. Failed harvest, worst winter in 30 years. There have been a number of raids on ships carrying grain, which led to people being shot at and trampled in the chaos. And even if they did survive, good old George, who owns the ship that are getting raided, is sentencing them to transportation for their crimes. Ready for more exposition? I give you wheel leisure. Once a Poldark mine built on Poldark land, begun with high hopes and the naive aim of giving work and decent living conditions to local men and women. Now in the hands of a man without conscience. For whom workers are chaff and profit is God. Great, thanks for the reminder, Ross. Stay tuned for that Anvil's Drop payoff at the end of the episode. Meanwhile, Demelza goes into labor and gives birth to a daughter, Clowens, which she springs on Ross like she's unveiling a magic trick. Welcome to the show, Clowens. Over in Truro, George and Elizabeth are plotting their takeover of the world by hosting a Christmas party in the hopes of enticing the Godolphins into their inner circle. And because it's Christmas, they send for Jeffrey Charles and Morwenna who remained back in Trenwith. During George and Elizabeth's absence, Drake has been sneaking over and making moon eyes at Morwenna while Agatha watches over them with beady eyes, which gives her an opportunity to get a message to Ross. Tell my nephew his aunt is much aggrieved at his neglect. This week, Caroline has a subplot! Yay! Yay! She's used her feminine wiles to get Unwin to pursue the Admiralty to secure a prisoner exchange, and she assumes Dwight will be released soon. Speaking of Dwight, he is still being held captive in France. The show even makes it super duper clear by hanging a huge French flag outside of the building. He is losing hope. Everyone is sick or dying, and without medicine or food or water, he is unable to prevent it. The guards make bets on who's going to die next. We interrupt this angst to watch Shutler sun- <laughs> splashing water on himself. Like, this had nothing to do with the plot. I just wanted to swoon and thank the show for providing for me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ross and Demelza hold a christening for Clowens, and everyone is invited. Even Aunt Agatha, who doesn't get the invitation, because Tom Harry screws it up. But Morwenna and Jeffrey Charles show up. Somehow the christening becomes all about Morwenna and Drake. Like, damn it, can Clowens just have a moment? And they end up making moon eyes and being just so obvious, Demalza steps in and points out how utterly hopeless their romance is. 
Morwenna agrees to say goodbye to Drake, but somehow she ends up just making out with him in the church. Like, close your eyes, Jesus. <laughs> oh, so after the snog in the chapel, Morwenna arrives in Toro and is unexpectedly hurried into a ballroom. Unfortunately, the party is kind of a dud. It started to snow, so half the guests don't show up, i.e. no Godolphins. And that leaves George with far too much wasted scheming energy. He begins plotting Merwenna's marriage to a gross reverend named Osborne Whitworth, who just so happens to be related to a Godolphin. And he is way gross. I mean, way gross. What follows is a beautifully disgusting negotiating scene between George and the Reverend over Morwenna's dowry. As to the matter of a settlement for Miss Chenoweth, I've been thinking of £2,000. Ah. My dear sir, you'll pardon me, but a man in my position must look the part, dress the part, carry himself in such a way as to inspire awe. Must he? Besides which, with debts of over £1,000, I could not in all countenance accept a penny less than 6000 guineas. My mother is a Godolphin. And Morwenna is a Chenoweth, one of the oldest families in the county. Daughter of a dean, devout, healthy, particularly fond of motherless children. But if you feel there is another pretty young lady with £2,000, willing to yoke herself to a penniless clergyman, you are, of course, at liberty to seek her out. I could be prevailed upon to accept £4,000. In times of economic hardship, it would be irresponsible of us to increase the offer beyond £2,000. It would be impossible to exist on so paltry a sum. Doubtless, God will then guide your steps towards some amiable young heiress. into consideration the many blessings I would gain in the actual personage of Miss Genove. I believe I'd be willing to accept £3,500. Good God, man, do you imagine I have money to burn? They haggle for days with Whitworth increasingly desperate and sweaty, ew, really <laughs> settling on a £3,000, which the inflation calculator tells me is about eight hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Shit! Wow, <laughs> that's a ton of cash. Oh my god! So apparently, George does has money to burn. Cause damn, it falls upon Elizabeth to tell Moena about the wedding, and unsurprisingly, she is not pleased. And by she, I mean Moena. Elizabeth s sits her down and gives her a bit of a reality check. Moena's family is penniless. She's dependent entirely on George's generosity to even have a dowry, and a marriage would bring her wealth and status. But, you know, it's Elizabeth, so it's kind of like a bitchy, emotionally stunted way. And it speaks more to Elizabeth's own issues than actually helping her cousin. When Morwenna meets Whitworth again, she is completely grossed out, naturally, and declines his kind offer of marriage. This creepily does not put him off and he gives her a few weeks to change her mind. In the meantime Morwenna is shipped back to Trenwith to again change her mind. I don't see that happening. No. 
Especially since she was giggling like a fool the entire time she was packing. <laughs> Ross and Caroline barge into Trinwith, and Ross visits his aunt. Of course, I never had your invitation. Do you think I'd miss a chance to drink port and eat heavy cake? He notices her neglect and offers to take her in. She obviously refuses as she has too much fun pissing George off. <laughs> so Ross goes and yells at the servants to look after her better. On the way home, Ross and Caroline spot some more people being arrested for corn shenanigans or something and decide they must do something to help the poor in the neighborhood. Ross comes up with a plan. Caroline and Demelza dress up and solicit the wealthy men of Cornwall to contribute to a charitable fund. They then use the money to buy a ship of grain that they will distribute at a much lower cost than what is being paid on the open market. But because of all of the unrest and rioting, they decide they must go about it secretly. This means that when Tom Harry, who is the new constable in the area, spots Ross sneaking about with a bunch of grain, he naturally suspects he's up to something illegal. And can you blame him? Like, this is Ross after all. He runs to tell his overlord, George, who signs a warrant for his arrest, and then they write on down to the barn in Glee to charge Ross. <laughs> when they arrive, George is met with a rather smug-looking Ross and Demelza, who tell him that the 50 guineas he donated is being spent on this endeavor. He's like, helping the poor! Gross! George is <laughs> and storms off angrily because, you know, the entire thing must have been done to just trick him and make him look like a fool. Dude, the world does not revolve around you. As an act of revenge, George decides he's just going to shut down Wheel Ledger as the profits have become minimal and they don't justify the investment because George is a pig. Ross, in turn, decides that it was all about him because, you know, they're both very self-involved and horrified that 70 men in his parish will now be jobless decides not to take a dividend on Wheel Grace and instead uses the profits to take on more men to do explorational digging uh, in Wheel Grace. What a hero! The show then cuts back to Dwight, who has healed a dying man back to life, finally restoring some hope inside of him, only to have a randomly evil French guard who has bet on that guy being the next to die drag the prisoner away and shoot him right in front of Dwight, who is just stricken and starts sobbing, and I can't even, like, why? A real connard, that means ass in French. <laughs> French knowledge for you. <laughs> the episode ends with Morwenna returning, much to Demelza and Sam's disappointment, and Morwenna and Drake reuniting and making out on the beach, where literally anyone could see them. <laughs> anyone! End of episode four! Hooray! And I'm really enthusiastic about this. I'm just, I'm just not well. So, ladies, what did you think about the show? Everything, Everything was perfect. perfect. <laughs> See you See next you week. week. <laughs> Bye. Yes, you know it, it, we we did that just because we got a little piece of. Uh, I hesitate to call it constructive criticism, but um, you know talking about, you know, why we're, like, beating up the show so much. And, uh, you know, we're we're going to watch this show and 
appreciate the good things, point out some of the things that are annoying us because we love this show, we love this series. So if you're looking for a show that is going to basically be nothing but positive uh, reactions, uh, this isn't going to be it. Nope. However... What did you think of this week's episode? Because I loved it. <laughs> I did too! I thought it was great! Me too. Oh, I thought it was great! And uh, Prairie's Head also loved it. So many people loved it, actually. Yes. Uh, let's see, BPAC67 said this was her favorite episode so far. Loved all of the elements, from the Poldark family scenes to Caroline and Demelza hustling for donations, Ross, Demelza, and their friends trying to help the starving poor, George and Ross trying to outsmart one another, the romance between Morwenna and Drake, and the introduction of Ozzy Whitworth. Amanda Poldark said, another home run. I actually stopped hating Ross for an entire hour, and I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Amanda, that would, that, that, that is an accomplishment. That's so, like an A+. Well plus. done show. <laughs> That's amazing. Well done show. This too was my favorite episode of the season, which admittedly is not that much of a statement considering how I felt about the other episodes but i think this episode managed to balance everyone's storylines much better and it didn't completely forget white and caroline Woo! so it, it was a much better episode for that i think yeah it felt it felt so much more um balanced even though there was a lot going on yeah i didn't feel as though they were crunching time and stretching time um, as much as they have in episodes past. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed how the, the episode flowed. It felt much more natural, felt a lot more like some of the things that we saw in season one, which I, I you know, we, we all love. Um, but, uh, this was, this was a fantastic hour of television. I felt like I felt like we were watching a mini movie because there was so much happening, but at the same time, it didn't felt didn't feel overwhelming on the viewers. So mm -hmm. well done. Um, what was your favorite scene and why? Uh, BPAC sixty seven says the Christmas scene, uh, Ross and Demelza singing, the way Jeremy looked at Demelza who was holding Clowns, Ross interacting with Jeremy. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, Demelza. <laughs> Demelza's brothers and close friend Caroline included as part of the celebration. Uh, happy and joyous family scene. This was my favorite scene as well. I just, I, I, I was a puddle of goo uh, by the time we got to the, uh, the scene where they were all singing together. Oh my God. It was like, just shoot me now. This is, I'm happy. I'm happy, happy, happy. Prairie's head agrees. First, Christmas at Nampara, obviously. Baby Poldarks and singing, enough said. Second, the tag team duo of Demelza and Caroline <laughs> charming donations from the wealthy of Cornwall <laughs> to feed the starving. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Amanda Poldark said, George Deuce-Ligan, uh, being trolled by Ross when he came out to arrest these smugglers. He looked like anger from inside out. My favorite scene was George and Ozzy's negotiating. It was just Oh my god. It was one of my favorite parts of the books and it was just expertly adapted and acted. So fucking funny. 
I love oh watching God. these two douchebags going head to head <laughs> and having intercut with Demelza and Caroline doing their own version of like negotiating with just A plus. Oh my God. I could live off Demelza's like serial killer fake smile for <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, it was also part of my favorite scenes of this week's episode because the actors went all the way. And uh, you, you guys know how much I despise Ozzy, but I thought it was really hilarious. And this scene in particular with Jack Farthing and uh, the actor's name Christian, I think, Brassington. Uh, yes. It felt like a master. I felt like I was watching a masterclass. It was such a well-executed scene and uh, I also loved how much singing there was in this episode like is there anyone who can sing in this cast oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I generally love uh, all kinds of Christmas episodes uh, in whatever show I'm watching uh, because of you know all the happiness the glee the warmth uh, which I definitely felt in this episode I don't want a lot Yeah, Christmas in July. Why not? <laughs> Why not? It's Paul Dark. I'll take it. Absolutely. That was that was just marvelous. Um, um, okay, least favorite and why? Prairie She's Head said, when Ozzy came to visit Morwenna and kissed her hand, it reminded me of the scene in Return of the Jedi when Jabba the Hutt, his slimy slug-like tongue hanging out as he was coming on to Princess Leia. Mm. I'm visibly shuddering. Oh my god, I knew it reminded me of something. I really loved the way that scene was shot because Morwenna is sitting on this like incredibly like large and elaborate settee and she just looks really tiny and vulnerable surrounded by all this wealth. It was just directed beautifully. Uh, let's see, Amanda Poldark uh, has two. Uh, first, the scene where Ross and the Karns are giving out bread. Uh, Sam specifically went too far into the cardboard Bible thumper dude, which is a little too far from the books, uh, from even my lax um, with the novel's point of view. Yeah, as the resident Sam obsessive, yeah, that was kind of out of character. But something yeah. about the passive-aggressive way Ross called him brother was kind of hot. Like, these <laughs> people need to mud-rustle these emotions out. Um, you know, they've had to overemphasize the attitude that um, exists between uh, Ross and Sam uh, because they really haven't allowed the animosity that Ross has about religion in general, which is, uh, you know, one of the things that's at the heart of his uh, ambivalence towards the brothers um, to to play out. So you know, I think they're they're looking to take advantage of any opportunity to show them you know pecking at each other. Which uh, all right, fine, I suppose. Um, but uh, uh, my buddy Sparks uh, wrote a really great post about uh, Sam and how he is being portrayed on the show versus the books, and included a bunch of uh, clips from. The books. Uh, so if you're interested in reading more about them, you can always uh, search Tumblr for Sparks Talks Poldark uh, as a hashtag, and uh, I'm sure you'll find it that way. Um, Amanda's second least favorite scene is Demelza telling Morwenna that she can't hope for a life with Drake, which sounds hypocritical because the show removed some of the context of the times in Drake's character. 
The man imparts class and status, and Drake doesn't have any money since we don't even see him mining. I think we have seen him mining, like, once. Yeah, we we saw him mining once, and now he's just, like, wandering around collecting shells and, and sighing. Yeah, um, why the fuck are they making Demelza say these things without providing the proper context for them? Like, it just makes her look like an asshole. Like, all she has to do is casually mention that Bowena would likely be one of the women watching their children starve to death if she married Drake right now. And boom, you have your context. Demelza's concerns are incredibly legitimate and correct. But I think Debbie is too busy building up the Oh my god, aren't we star-crossed and romantic trope? Let's preserve the characterization and not feed into these weird vibes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. BPAC67 agrees with Amanda's second point about Demelza's chat with Moena, about Drake being three classes below her, and to forget about a relationship. I understand that the situation with George and Elizabeth means they wouldn't approve the relationship, so they don't want Drake to be hurt, and Ross was adamant about there being no contact with Tren with, but what has happened to the Demelza who believes in love conquering all? She's grown up. Yeah, she's had to grow up, because, you know, ouch. Uh, The very last scene, for me, that was my very least favorite scene. It is the schlockiest, most tropified (laughs) shot they could have ever done for Drake and Morwenna. Uh, It's either on a beach, or it's in a field of flowers to have the (laughs) slow-mo running towards each other and claspy, embracey thing. Oh my god, stop trying to give their relationship uh, the same punch and dynamics uh, as Ross and Demelza's, because it will never be. It will never be. You haven't given it a chance to be! Well, my patience with these two has run its course. It was always a very thin line, but they've crossed it. I'm actively rooting for them to break up now so that we can focus on something else again. Because they're taking up so much screen time. I'm like, just break up already. Um, I remember Michelle warned me. She's, she told me, uh, Delanda, the last scene will make you want to throw up. <laughs> and um, I told you. <laughs> I told you! Yeah, the amount of side-eyeing. Seriously, though, it's like you were comparing Chanel to Target. Like, you don't compare the incomparable. (laughs) Um, No! No! (laughs) I feel for the girl. I really do. But I just can't bring myself to root for them in the series the same way I root for them, kind of, in the books. Because I feel like their relationship was constructed in a much more mature way than it was in the adaptation, than it has been in the adaptation. And just to me, it just comes across as this, you know, this teen, uh, childish love. Yeah. Which we'll get over at some point. It doesn't have this, the epicness that we have with, uh, Demelza and Ross. And Demelza and Ross actually took more time, like, establishing, uh, itself as a relationship and a solid one. They actually talk to each other. Or Drake and yeah, exactly. Drake, like, glance it's... at each other across the room and smirk. It's like, okay, I get <laughs> it. You like each other. You're cute. Yeah, and and the, and the, I mean the way that the way that they have done absolutely nothing to develop the like the tension between the two of them for uh, towards the relationship because in the in the books <laughs> um, don't drink. Um, we need to get that on t-shirt. I know. Uh, Morwenna is much more cautious. 
Uh, she's much more resisting this pull that she has towards Drake. Um, and so it creates this really great tension uh, between the two of them so that when they finally do admit their feelings for each other, um, it it has much more of a, a deeper foundation so that it gets away from being a kind of puppy love situation that, you know, will disappear once, you know, you grow up. That said, I think we will have all kinds of reasons uh, to appreciate um, the the situation that Morwenna is in, or maybe appreciate's the wrong word. I suppose appreciate the 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 separation and the the decision that that is made on her behalf. Uh, Can to, I just to say what Drake. worries me about how they're painting this is that they're definitely painting it as if the resistance to this pairing is entirely built out of George being a complete douchebag. One of the interesting aspects about this relationship is the social class system and also like the patriarchal system. Demelza falling in love with Ross is completely different from Morwenna falling in love with Drake because when you marry someone, you take on the status of your husband. So going down in status wouldn't have been something that Morwenna would like giggle gleefully about. Like this is a real struggle and a conflict for her and it's not being painted like that way at all it's entirely being reduced to just George doesn't want me to marry him like that's the only problem here instead of actually focusing on what would have been her real issues with the pairing like I just find it reductive and I think going forward I don't have much hopes that that's going to be explored I think what's going to happen is it's just going to be like oh well George has married me off and then she winds up in this marriage with this utterly horrible human being and then it, it just becomes a um an issue of uh we must get her away from this this evil evil man um one thing i will say is you know this kind of harkens back to you know when ross tells demelza you know you're my wife not my chattel well we're seeing exactly what women were back in those days with this negotiation for the dowry, Morwenna is chow. She's 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 basically has no no more value than you know a cow. It's sickening. It is sickening, but I I don't feel like the show is exploring that as well as it could do. Mm-hmm. And that's no, it isn't. It that's isn't worrying. But hey, we get lots of running along <laughs> along beaches and looking yes! at across rooms. So yeah, exactly. Huh. God, okay. Unfortunately, Delanda had to leave us. <laughs> um, but she'll be back next week. So, let's carry on. Yeah, what was your favorite new character and why? Let's see. Amanda Poldark said, Clowance, she is Ross's little princess. <laughs> Furry Cheesehead said, Clowance, because babies. Um, I think, uh, for me, it was a toss-up between uh, baby Clowance and the toads. I'm so glad those damn toads are in. Uh, no idea when we'll see the festivities <laughs> begin, but I think it's it's going to be awesome, and I really, 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 really hope that we see um, we see Aunt Agatha's uh, enthusiasm about the Toad's return and George's reaction to that because that'll be epic. Oh my gosh, weren't the Toads just so awkwardly inserted though? It was like 
Oh, hey, I heard you like toads, so here, I brought you a basket full of them. Who the hell does that, Drake? Where the hell did he also find these toads in December? <laughs> this is why you don't mess with the timeline, Debbie. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so least favorite character and why? Um, BPAC67 said, my favorite and least character are the same. It's Ozzy Whitworth. Uh, he is just as I imagined. Chubby, vain, self-absorbed, superficial, sleazy show pony. Ha! I love that. Um, it was like Ozzy Whitworth had walked out of the Poldark novels straight onto the TV screen. Great casting by Mammoth and the performance by actor Christian Barrington. Um, I am going to hate Ozzy. Amanda Poldark agreed. Um, Ozzy Whitworth, he's sweaty, he's creepy, and <laughs> worst of all, George knows it and tolerates him for more political connections. Because George is a massive social climbing tool. Prairie Cheesehead says, I've got a window seat on the Osborne Whitworth hate train. Everything about him <laughs> makes my stomach turn and my skin crawl. My creeper meter broke, and I feel like I need needed to take several hot showers to clean off the filmy creep residue that accumulated Ew. on my skin while watching him. But kudos to the actor who plays Creepy so well. Um, I think for me, uh, yeah, it's Ozzy Whitworth. Um, and mainly it's because, you know, I, I hate him because of the kind of character that he is. Uh, but I think that uh, Brassington is, is absolutely perfect for this role. Uh, when he kisses Morwenna's hand and gives that little grunt. Ew. <laughs> Ew. And uh, when he's getting measured for his his pants, oh my god! It, I mean, it was it was disgusting, but it was done so freaking well, um, you know. And the fact that that the actor gained uh, a bunch of weight for the part, uh, you know, really committing to you know altering his body in order to to take on that role, um, it so works. So works. I love him. Like, I just, every time he's on screen, it's so repulsive, but like, so mm -hmm. brilliant at the same time. Like, I'm really yeah. enjoying it. And I enjoy the hell out of watching him, like, slime his way across the county. He's such <laughs> a fantastic addition to the cast. And I'm, like, thrilled. Delanda had said that uh, Whitworth basically takes the cake for the least favorite this week. Um, and she said, you know, I have to admit, though, apart from the scenes with Morwenna that I'm so not looking forward to, I can't wait to for more scenes uh, between he and George. Okay, so what made you cheer? Uh, Amanda Poldark said, Carolina Demelza convincing the rich to pay for the grain for the needy. Uh, that was pretty awesome. Do we think that Demelza was borrowing clothes from Caroline for this part? I think so. The hat is definitely a Caroline. Which means two girlfriends playing in the closet, trying yeah. on clothes. Oh my god! I got such Thelma and Louise vibes from them. I was just like, oh, oh. this is what I want the show to be. <laughs> uh, BPAC67 said there were a couple of things. Uh, the joy in Ross and Demelza's faces when she announced, meet your baby daughter clones, Poldark. And Ross held clowns in his arms. 
all the interactions between Ross and Demelza and Jeremy, that little boy is so adorable, and the Romelza's banter and romantic moments. Uh, what made me cheer? When Sam shoved Drake for mooning over Moena. <laughs> oh, those kids need a reality check, and I love that Sam is the one providing it. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. Uh, Demelza and Sam side-eyeing Drake uh, because the dude needs to get real uh, was uh, one of the things that made uh, Delonda cheer. I, I was basically just cheering every time I saw Ross and Demelza together. Their relationship feels so real now. Um, you know, even those moments where, you know, she's being a little spiky about, you know, well, I thought I told you to stay home. And then she comes back at him and he just smirks. Um, I mean, that was that was adorable. That was adorable. You know, when he brought the soup up and, you know, and said, you know, is there anything else I can do for your ladyship? I mean, I love that he's doing she's like nine months pregnant and he's like trolling her about me. Those are the kinds of. Those are the kind of, of things that, you know, you do when you're you're married and you love your your partner and and it, it's just so real. And uh, so, yeah, I, I loved the Romelza in this, I think, almost as much as I loved it in uh, episode four of season one. Massive praise. What made you want to throw things at the television slash computer screen? BPAC said, Reverend Whitworth and George bantering over Morwenna like she was a prized filly, and George closing down Will Leisure to get back at Ross. Uh, Amanda Poldark said, literally every Whitworth theme or scene, I want to throw the demon in a vat of acid or a bonfire. Uh, Prairie Cheesehead said, first, George and his scheming and his narcissism. Every time something goes wrong in his life, he's convinced it's some plot by Ross to destroy him. He gives Ross way too much credit or blame oh my God. to the point of obsession. He's like the Donald Trump of 18th century Cornwall, minus the 3am rage tweets and the orange-hued skin. You know he would be rage tweeting if he could. You know. Oh my God. Oh my God. Lols, 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 lols. Uh, to be fair, um, what the hell was up with, like, Russ and Demelza? It's like they were goading George in that scene rather than just being like, oh, we did something nice for the poor. He's, like, obsessed with them for sure. But I think the feeling is a little mutual. They were like, oh, we pulled something over on George. Woo. I don't think that was the way it came out. At least that wasn't the way it came out uh, across to me. Um, you know, George is the one that misinterpreted the whole damn thing. Yeah, but they totally relished fucking with him. I think, you know, one of the things that that probably uh, tipped George over the edge was, you know, when Ross said, you know, basically repeated the the words that George had flung at him the other day, which was, you know, this is Nampara land and you're trespassing, Um, you know, which is basically, you know, the same goad that, George threw at him uh, just the other day, which, um, by the way, Ross did not rise and take the bait for that either, which I thought was, you know, growth on Ross's part. George has a lot thinner skin, though. He does. He has always felt 
like Ross has seen him as inferior because of, you know, where he comes from. And, uh, you know, there's a part of me that just wants to say, you know, okay, will you guys like just go get a room someplace <laughs> and get it over with <laughs> so that we can move on? The other thing that Prairie Cheese had uh, had to say about, uh, you know, throwing stuff at the television or computer screen was when Demelza was telling Morwenna that Drake, her own brother, is beneath Morwenna. I was like, uh, hello, did you forget where you came from? Or that you married outside of your own class? You know, if her intention was to warn Morwenna about the difficulties of people marrying outside of their social class, which Demelza knows all too well, it could have been written to make Demelza look like less of a snob and a hypocrite, and more like a concerned sister, which I think was supposed to be the intent of that bit. I don't know, because as someone who thinks Drake and Morwenna are ridiculous, and I just think Demelza was right, <laughs> even in that moment. I didn't really see it that way. It's the exact opposite of how I read that scene, because she was saying it with so much love and concern. And we'll see at the end of next week's episode if she ends up being wrong about it ending badly. And, spoiler, she's not! What do you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, basically for me, when George mentioned the birth of Ross and Demelza's daughter and said he hoped they would be more careful with this one. Oh, no, you better don't, you douche. I'm sorry. That was a low-ass blow, and you know it, because even you reacted when you found out that Ross had lost his first daughter uh, back in season one. So, you know, you're you're being a major dick, dude. And then, Elizabeth, not saying a damn thing in response, Rita, I think you need to hold my earrings. I got your back, girl. Delanda said she wanted to scream when he said that. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah. Um, she also said, uh, um, Hi to Reed, I applaud you for making me dislike Elizabeth so much. I can't bring myself to feel sorry for, a wo- for the woman, and I'm still confused about the drug addiction. Like, where is that coming from? If someone can explain. It doesn't make any sense. It was like, hey, we need to give no. Elizabeth a storyline. Here, give her a drug addiction. Yeah. You know, well, no, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The reason why they're doing this is in order for her to remain likable. Because her <laughs> life is so... Mi- well, you listen to me for a minute. Be- you know, because her life is so miserable now, uh, we all are supposed to feel sorry for her. That it's come to the point that she's having to do this. Because remember, they've changed the character of Elizabeth in this adaptation. And so we're not supposed to actively loathe her. We're supposed to feel sorry for her. I don't want to feel sorry for her all the time. She's a constant victim in this show. Now she's a victim of drug addiction? Exactly! Can she just, like, be an active participant in her own misery for once? Exactly. That's like this kind of shit takes away, you know, her decision making, her agency, and, uh, you know, makes her, you know, oh my god, life is just so miserable for me, blah, blah, blah. I, 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 I just, I can't. I can't with this character. <laughs> we will get through this. Um, Delanda said the scene that upset me in particular was the one with Morwenna. When the poor girl asked Elizabeth if she shouldn't marry for love, well, duh, Lizzie. 
I'm not the biggest Mawena fan and certainly not the number one shipper of Mawake. Drawena? Drawena? Both of them are kind of... Terrible ship names. But even Elizabeth and George know how much of a disgusting lad Ozzy is. Yet they're willing to sacrifice a poor, innocent girl's future just to serve their sorry lives. That, to me, speaks volumes to the substance of their marriage and overall the lives they are leading. Nap! Yes, indeed. I mean, you know, think back to kind of your life when you had a similar conversation with your damn mother, who, by the way, where has she gone to? (laughs) I miss her so much. You know how I love her, like, making Elizabeth's life worse. (laughs) I know, I know. Well, apparently she died during the off-season. We'll never see her. And now she'll pop back back in for like season four, just like, hey, I'm still here. Okay, so what was their what was your performance of the week? Perry Cheesehead said Luke Norris as Dwight, especially at the end when he broke down. That nearly broke me. Amanda Poldark said it's a tie between Christian Bassington for making us all want to hell and Luke Norris for making us cry over Dwight in prison. In addition to our newest cast member, Mr. Brassington, once again, Hyda Reed is kicking serious ass for the second week in a row. Um, you know, as I saw on Twitter, you know, a successful marriage, Elizabeth. Um, is that why you're pounding drops of happy juice into your pork glass like hot sauce into a gumbo? Uh, but I also loved Ross, too, uh, from start to finish this week. Because, you know, that's what, I, that's, that's what I'm about, you know, as the resident Ross defender and, and freak. My favorite wasn't Sam, so let's let's enjoy that. Oh my god, seriously? Everyone's really kicking it out of the park this week. Like everyone's performance was just amazing, but Luke gets my vote with an honorary mention for BT, who managed to make giving Tom Harry a note so fucking funny that I'm still laughing about it today. She is awesome. She's just awesome. Uh, for Delanda, she says, Luke Norris is my MVP. Uh, he broke my heart. Damn those French. <laughs> Which would have sounded much better coming from her. Any other observations you wish to share with us, folk? BPAC67 said, I'm enjoying the series when I do not keep comparing it to the books and wanting themes slash dialogues to mm-hmm. be there. However, I do have lapses. I thought we saw more of Caroline's episode, but I feel there needs to be more Caroline and Dwight. Not now, but when Dwight is rescued and tries to resume a normal life. Also, people commented about how quick Demelza's labour was. However, we don't know whether she was in labour for two hours or nine hours, as we don't have any idea of timelines. Hashtag product time. Also, given the time constraints, I was pleased they focused on Ross's reaction to Demelza giving him the good news, and we see him holding his daughter rather than seeing Demelza give birth. On the subject of the labour, this is baby number three for Demelza. Labours tend to happen quicker with each one, and to be honest, there's only so many ways they can do a Demelza give birth and then Ross sees the baby scene, you know? This is the (laughs) third time it's happened. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, the only issue is that, you know, the last birth that she had with Jeremy was a difficult one. Um, you know, and it's a pattern that doesn't disappear for her either. 
Um, I thought it was a lovely scene, and God knows I've been ba a babbling idiot over the feels I've experienced seeing the show and the gift sets and and the reading the fix uh, and and that type of thing related to uh, Clowance's arrival. But there's a part of me that feels like this is another part of the super Demelza phenomenon. Uh, you know, Debbie, the character is flawed. Please don't turn her into some kind of Mary Sue. I don't know. I was kind of just thinking she was ridiculous when she like unveiled the baby. It was like, Demelza, are you high right now? Why are you doing yeah. that with your baby? <laughs> Um, oh, Amanda Poldark said, "I find it interesting that we're play we're seeing only Prudy helping Demelza around Dampara. Will they hire more people as a way to help the poor dude? Where's Ginny? Let's start that hashtag. Hashtag Where's Ginny? Where's Ginny? Yes, yes, because you know she's been missing in action the entire season. Um, I would imagine so uh, that they will wind up uh, hiring some more folks to help." Uh, you know, one of the things that I've also noticed is that uh, Nampara has become huge. Where are these outbuildings coming from? You know, they don't they don't have the the little kind of muddy courtyard in the middle of the of their property anymore. Uh, you know, they've got just massive amounts of like house garden and all. It's it's crazy huge. So I don't know how it got to be as big as it did. All of a sudden, but uh, let's see. Prairie Cheesehead said, it seems like Jeffrey Charles is emulating either Drake or Ross or both. I can understand because the poor kid needs a better male role model in his life than George. <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, perhaps some of this can be attributed to his being a kid and consequently having the innocence that, innocence that goes with childhood. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Jeffrey Charles seems not to care that Drake is of a lower social class than he is and still want to be his friend uh, or that he's taken to wearing a tricorn hat all the time. That kid has grown on me. You know, I snarked about him in the first episode, uh -huh. but he's grown on me. I think I'm just, it just takes me a while to get used to child actors. He's doing a great job with this character. So, well done. I hope they stick with that actor going forward. Yeah, me too. Come back for season four. So, it's time to get into our messages section. Our first one was from Anonymous. We noticed a season one clip of Ross looking over at Wheel Leisure. He looked younger and so handsome. That is another example of reusing footage from earlier seasons. <laughs> we called you out on this before show. Don't make us do it again. Because we will. You know that you know that they will. You know that they will. Let's see. Anonymous said, "Okay, I really like this one. Finally, I like the first half of episode three, and then it blew. Then they blew it in dumb stuff. The acting is always wonderful. It's the other stuff that gets annoying. Uh, do the frogs count as a new character? I've been waiting for them. Aussie is a love hate, just like uh, George. Scenes with on Agatha, in particular on Agatha and, and uh, Jeffrey Charles." Glad they kept uh, Caroline and Ross uh, in seeing uh, on Agatha. Uh, would like less of George and Elizabeth. Uh, I think you're not alone. Um, it's not necessary. And uh, not sure if Demelza and Caroline have chemistry. Please watch again because it was amazing. They are the sisters we've all deserved, okay? <laughs> yeah, watch it again because they they actually do have great chemistry together. <laughs> um, Anonymous said, what can I say? Too little, too late. 
<laughs> Ross Ouch. and Demelza don't have the same spark as they used to. Quote, mm-hmm. empowered Demelza is contrived and irritating. Ross and George's repetitive scenes on the cliff path saying basically the same thing every episode is boring. Drake Morwenna, boring. Bright yes. spot, Reverend Whitworth. <laughs> Great <laughs> acting from Christian Brassington. More active Caroline, also good. I like Sam, but only because of the actor. TV's adaptations. The TV adaptation Sam is very different from the Sam of the novels. God, yes. Not much to unpick in that statement. <laughs> I don't feel like the spark has gone with Ross and Demelza. I think no. that the spark has matured into like a slowly burning flame yes. of mature love. Absolutely. It is. It has changed. It has changed, but it is. it is real and it is... Uh, what you would expect for a couple that has been married for seven years at this point. And I do find Russ and George's repetitive scenes on Cliff Plus just insulting each other quite, I'm not going to say boring, but it's the same trope over and over again. Yeah. Um, they need to try and... Um... Do they even need to have these conversations on Cliff Tops? No! I get that they hate each other. Like, you don't need to reiterate that show. And, you know, they, you know, Ross said, you know, you take care of my people and I will stay out of your life. Well, this also was just completely fabricated. Like, there mm-hmm. isn't this animosity in the novels at this point in the story. They both sort of retreated into their separate storylines. So it's kind of a convenient thing for the show to do, I guess. Cause mm-hmm. They like the Ross and George drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was going to say one of the other points that they made was that the, the Sam on uh, a television adaptation uh, is different than the Sam in the novels. Um, again, uh, Sparks did a really great post on Sam um, the other day, and it is really terrific, a really terrific read to to understand you know, the, the goodness of Sam's character, because Sam is... Uh, always wanting to help people. Uh, he's not this this brooding um, uh, emo dude um, wearing the, the black suit and the hat. You know, he is really trying to do whatever he can uh, to help folks, you know, be it carrying water for uh, elderly folks, uh, doing whatever whatever he can. And that's not coming across um, in the adaptation. He talks a lot about like sin and people going to hell and mm-hmm. oh these people deserved it and I find that incredibly out of character from yeah. the book where he was always talking about the positive aspects and like redemption and no matter what happened you could always find Jesus and this is a mm-hmm. really weird subject for me to talk about because I'm <laughs> deeply agnostic. But I just found his version of faith less intense and doom and gloom. I grew up um, Catholic, so I'm very well versed in the almost everything is a sin and it's like all terrible and God hates you and he's trying to punish you version of religion. Um, And that is not Sam's belief system. And I don't think the show is interpreting it correctly i think they're just going they're painting everything in really heavy brush strokes and just going he's religious this is what we think religious is but hey he was shirtless yeah he was... 
another message from Anonymous said, When is Demelza going to be warmly dressed in the winter scenes? I know she has at least two cloaks and a pair of gloves. I've seen them on her. So what is the charade with an old shawl that leaves her décolletage bare in freezing temperatures? And when are Ross and Demelza going to start to renovate Nampara? They should have begun with that long since. Uh, we did see her wearing a velvet cloak when they were out uh, handing out bread, which, you know, is a shift from that ratty old cloak that she seems to drag out all the time. That's like her home look, like she's lounging. Yes. We've also seen the furnishings around Nampara um, vastly improved. Um, the position of the furnishings uh, hasn't changed, uh, which may make it difficult to notice, but... Uh, you'll see that the quality of the furnishings, uh, the dishes, everything has vastly improved. Um, there's a quality and opulence that they didn't have before. And we see that at the Christmas scene um, where they're standing around the table and they've got, you know, really nice china on the table and, and, and that kind of thing. They have like a fucking goose. They're rich. They are rich, man. I know. Well, they've got tons of geese. They're always the geese are always like marching around on the farm now, so they've got plenty to choose from. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the grounds of Nampara have miraculously grown in size. You know, in that storehouse that they wound up giving um, uh, Sam and Drake for their meeting house, uh, that is way more expansive and looks a heck of a lot nicer than the shabby excuse of a barn they have for poor little Darkie. Um, in last season's show. Put Darkie in there. Darkie deserves to have a fly pad uh, where he can rest his, his little feet. Um, let's see. Um, and, of course, in the books, drink. Uh, they don't start renovating the interior of the house until Four Swans, I think, is when they start doing all of the renovations. Oh, no, 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 no. They do start the renovations in, in Black Swans. In Black Swans, good God, in uh, Black Moon, because that's the thing that Drake is working on uh, while, uh, you know, he do, he does that and then Demelza gives him the, the reading lessons. So it's, They start it and then in yeah. Four Swans is when he Ross starts looking out for plasterers and shit. Mm-hmm. Deeply yeah. thrilling stuff happens in the books. <laughs> Listen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, Plastering happens. People decorate. <laughs> But is that actually still going to happen? Because now TV Ross is suddenly using his dividends to hire more people. He's not going to be raking in as much money as he was in the book. Yeah. By the way, not an addition I loved because it was very Saint Ross-esque. Helper <laughs> of the poor. Here I come to save the day. Um, Anonymous said, uh, did they have that famine in the book with the corn? Um, yes, they did. And it was played out almost exactly uh, as it showed up in the books uh, with the following uh, exceptions. Uh, they had Demelza join Caroline in soliciting the funds, which I think we all thought was an awesome, awesome uh, thing to do. Uh, the purchase of the grain was all done out in the open. It's like everybody knew what they were donating to. Uh, the sale of the corn was, you know, the, or the, 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 the acquisition of the corn, again, all out in the open. 
um, and the sales were managed by the parish overseers, um, and Caroline or one of the contributors were there if a dispute over pricing occurred. Um, all of that information came out of uh, the book. Um, wasn't that like one or two pages in the novel? I actually quite liked the way this was adapted because it gave everyone a role and allowed the cast to perform as an ensemble. Like, too often this season, they've been stuck in their own little subplots, and this one really brought everyone together. So I really liked how this was adapted. Yeah, me too. Me too. I thought this was a really great, a really great adaptation. Uh, this this caper does uh, occur over the course of a couple of pages. There are references to the shortages and uh, the riots are woven uh, throughout the book. Um, I think the the only only thing I didn't like was the whole Ross did this to get back at me bullshit with George. I, that that really annoyed me. Because it was like, George, you know, this this is on you, dude. This is on you, dude. Our next question was also from Anonymous. Am I the only one who is really bored with Elizabeth and George? Yes, they're miserable people, we get it. But at the moment, they do nothing for the plot. I wish they gave their screen time to Caroline and Dwight. So, for once, I'm going to say I didn't mind them as much as in this episode. I think because... Their inclusion didn't feel as shoehorned as it has previously. I think they moved the plot forward with the Moena and George shutting down the mine thing. And nobody mentioned Valentine not resembling George. So it was a fucking miracle, people. <laughs> uh, isn't this one of the signs of the apocalypse? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Sam would be standing on the street screaming at everybody to repent right now. <laughs> Let's see. Theater One Posts said, Fabulous episode once more. Congratulations to all of the cast headed by Aiden Turner who added singing to his skills. Let's not forget Gabrielle Wilde. She it's true. She joined in. Cornwall Bird said, She thinks it's a good idea to bring Dwight home next week so we can see him more often. We can have a few more episodes of Black Moon before Swans. Was the rescue of Dwight towards the end of the book? I can't remember. Uh, yes, uh, it's towards the end. There are uh, only 51 pages left of Black Moon when the uh, ship reaches Falmouth from the rescue. Um, I've been thinking about why this storyline isn't really working for me and thinking up ways of better adapting this. And I think what I would have preferred to see is to have Dwight go missing and have him off screen completely rather than having these tiny little scenes with him so that way you can really feel his absence in the show and also devote more time to Caroline's worry and sadness. I also think having one episode entirely devoted to Ross's journey to rescue Dwight intercut with Dwight's experience in the prison would work better because I think the tension and the emotions of these scenes are being undercut by the relatively minor shit going on in Cornwall juxtaposing Dwight crying over the dying body of a fellow prisoner with Drake and Mawena really annoying love story is just really not working for me <laughs> I think that's because you need to really like isolate and immerse yourself in that space for it to work and really settle into that similar to the way that the novel isolates you and you're forced to just go to this very dark place mm -hmm. i um it felt 
like a novel within a novel in that section. And I think recreating that atmosphere for the show would really benefit the story. Having said that, I am really looking forward to seeing next week's episode, like resolve these storylines and watching Dwight's escape because yeah. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be great. And, you know, we'll have to keep our eyes open for the moment that um, um, Aiden wound up breaking his hand because I think he wound up, he was using the muskets and wound up breaking his hand during during the shooting of the rescue. Um, but after last, yeah, after last week's episode, um, I have a theory. Um, and basically, uh, you know, because Armitage kept saying, you know, teach me something useful, let me learn something from you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're having us spend time in prison uh, prior to the breakout in order to give the man some kind of redeeming, redeemable qualities. I, I resent that. <laughs> <laughs> I resent that. Don't don't make me don't make me try to like him. Don't kill me, but I am actually falling for this. Oh my god, no! <laughs> resist, I, resist. I like him at the moment. Oh. I, I think it's like Josh Whitehouse has like these really soulful, beady little eyes, and he looks so sad. Oh god, just back away from the light. Back away from the light. But the fake beards in these scenes are so distracting. Oh, that I'm like, his beard is so bad. Bless you, Josh. You know I love you, but can you even grow a beard? Huh? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, it is, God, it is so bad. It is so bad. It's like, on that note, we have finished all of our messages. Let's take a listen to the trailer for episode five. The prisoner camp air. Where Dr. Ennis being turned. It's like a hellhole now. What the result we could do to help him. And if there was? Make your way to the prison. Free Dwight and bring him home. What could be simpler? A prison break on French soil with respectable men who are surely being led to their deaths. Load your weapons. We make a stand. Drake! Uh, so our description. The French royalists plan an invasion which Caroline hopes will lead to Dwight's release. However, Ross is convinced that this will only make matters worse and recruits a band of allies, including Tholly, Zaki, Drake, and Henshaw, to help him free Dwight from prison. George schemes to further his political ambitions, and when he learns of Ross's plan, he uses it as a mean to discredit his rival, accusing him of recklessness, a charge that may prove true when the mission proves to have fatal consequences. Dun, dun, dun. That means somebody's going to die, and I don't even want to talk about all the speculation that's happening out there, because if the speculation is right, I am not going to be a very happy camper. I suspect that it it is, just based on... I'm not going to say any more! What are you looking forward to, then? <laughs> what am I looking? You know me. I'm glass half empty girl. Um, what, <laughs> what am I looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to the rescue uh, because I think it'll be uh, a dynamic uh, piece of filming. Um, I think, you know, there's a part of me that is uh, kind of looking forward to the way they manage the, I hesitate to call it breakup because that sounds so 
you know, high school musical. But, you know, since the Drake Morwenna storyline has kind of more Excuse you, High School Musical had a lot more depth in their love stories and their relationship building. <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I, I bow to your to your wisdom on this. It, it It's become uh, pretty schlocky, but I, I'm looking forward to how they manage the this, the separation of the, the two, of Drake and Morwenna. Um, I don't know if it'll be um, as oh, powerful as it was in the books, but um, I, I think I'm, I'm ready to see that happen so that we can get on with it. Yeah, I too am looking forward to them breaking up. <laughs> more, I want this to be over reasons. I look forward to seeing more Ozzy Whitworth, just in the sense mm-hmm. that I'm just like getting a real kick out of how good this actor is. Yeah. Basically, just the conclusion, just the conclusion of these storylines so that yeah. we can move on. Yeah. Um, I, I much prefer Force Ones. Now that I think about it, I'm like looking forward to the there's Force a lot that happening. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in Four Swans, um, you know. And you know, now we'll basically have what two episodes uh, after this to delve into uh, some of the stuff that begins to happen with Four Swans. And sad face, we're at the end of this week's episode. Thank you for joining us, and please come back next week for our podcast on episode 5. If you want to get in touch with us about the episode, you can take part in our survey, which you can find on our blog after the episode, or send a message to us at podarkpodcast.tumblr.com forward slash ask. Or you can tweet us at Podark Podcast, and you may be read out on the show. Yes! Probably. (laughs) We'll read anybody out. (laughs) Bye, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys!